The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. How's it going and welcome to episode 103 of On The Wire, proud member of the PitcherList Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. You can follow me at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. And you can follow co-host Kevin Hasting at HastingKevin. We have a great show lined up today as we continue our 2023 preview episodes. As I've stated in the last two episodes, we are doing things a little bit differently that you might be used to hearing. Instead of doing it by position or by team, we are doing it by category. Today's category, we're going to be talking about volume, hitter volume, plate appearances, and batting average, and the opportunities that those certain players might be able to get. And we'll get a little deeper into the drafts to see what some of those targets might be at the end game of your drafts, especially in your 12-teamers or in the later ends of your 15-teamers. But you know what? We'll get into all that in a little bit. Kevin, glad to have you back, man. We are, I think... Pitchers and catchers have reported and we've got college baseball is, is being is on the TV now. We can watch baseball again. It's nice. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. A week from today, we have spring training baseball games and you mentioned the college baseball today. Already a walk off grand slam. I saw Beautiful. on Twitter. It's lots of college baseball highlights today as we're recording here on Friday. Yeah, it's just awesome. And I know it seems like We just finished the World Series. It really does this year to me. I didn't feel like we got that long. Gosh, I can't wait for baseball to start. And I think it's because we have so much going on with the podcast and our articles and really trying to pay attention year round now to what's going on. But at the same time, it's still absolutely amazing once we start seeing live game action. Yeah, it's our own fault because we start drafting in October and (laughs) we don't typically stop. Now, we're not doing 50 drafts or anything like that. As long as you still have a draft going on at all times, it's just constant. (laughs) So I have two going right now and you just are you're in the middle of one or finished. Has it finished yet? Our last listener league, we did an impromptu listener league that started on the 15th. That's not over yet. Is it? Oh, no. Yeah, we just started a couple days ago. We're in round about 13, I believe. I'm in the Highlander Dynasty League that I'm in. We're in our draft going on right now as well. I have another Dynasty League draft that starts on Saturday. And then the quote unquote big drafts are coming up and there's already big drafts going on. In addition to all the other drafts we've been doing, 
it's it's just awesome that we can do this year round <laughs> these days. It's amazing. It is. It is. Yeah, I got a new redraft coming up next weekend. We know we have Tout Wars coming out. We don't, but you know what? Our guest does. And so let's get right into that. I only introduce to you the newest Tout Wars participant, Mr. Scott Chu. He joins us to talk about all these opportunities for these hitters. Of course, he is the hitter lister. Is that a word? Yeah, sure. Why not? He's the lister of hitters right here on pitcherlist.com. You can hear him, of course, on the Hacks and Jacks podcast with fellow Tout Ward, Joe Galena, as well. Of course, you can also hear Scott generally pushing the, quote, rolling charts or the moving average charts. Whenever you hear him, I'm sure we'll get into that plenty in today's episode as well. Like I said, we'll be breaking down the categories specifically focusing on plate appearances and batting average. Let's get into all that in a little bit. First and foremost, Scott, thanks for joining us, man. And congratulations on joining Tout. Yeah, it's really cool. I want to say it came out of nowhere because I've been doing this for a long time, but it could, it came out of nowhere. Like You never really expect it. So that's really cool. Jeff, Jeff Erickson, one of the guys that runs it, it's been really flexible because I got these twin babies on the way yes. that want to be due like right in the heart of like early baseball season. They're due in like supposed to be mid-April and we're hoping they just keep cooking until april or so because i got drafts to do man (laughs) priorities can't have twins popping out by then they take a little bit of time and attention just a little bit i'm not that good at this i need every ounce of brain power i can get you have a couple of week cushion to even get through opening day weekend so you should be good yeah, that's the dream. That's the dream is I can do all that with some sense of sanity or at least however much I can muster like at a, just like regularly. That's a problem, but I'll muster what I can and we'll see how it goes. But I'm glad to be here. And this is one of the this is one of the best categories to talk about rolling charts because all the cool stats we have with PLV and all that. They really like some of the really cool charts we have really lend themselves to things like batting average, like the contact ability metric we have and things like that. So uh, I'm really excited to be here for this one. Cause I can't, I can't use a lot of rolling charts to talk about like steals. maybe maybe someday but let's we know what we have way more news than i thought we were going to have so let's get right into that of course we usually start off and though they're not as major news items as we might have seen a couple weeks or months ago they still have an impact in where you're drafting especially those later portions of your drafts if you're still doing dcs if you're still in those deep 15 teamers a lot of these are going to have a little bit of impact at least who you're considering so kevin let's start off with a rotation piece that got added to san diego they signed michael waka to presumably be their either number four or number five starter in that rotation what kind of impact are you seeing out of their out of the rotation is somebody getting kicked out or do you see them going more six man that's a great question Jason over at Roster Resource right now has him going six. He did slide Waka above Martinez and Lugo. We've joked about that a couple of times about them having relievers in the starting rotation. He does have them above those two guys. He's got them in that four spot. I assume that's what's going to happen as well, at least to start out. And Waka's interesting. He's... He's never really done what we hoped he might do from early in his career with the Cardinals. And we've always had higher hopes than what we got, but he's never really 
been bad either. Even 2016, he had an ERA over five, and he was seven and seven in 27 starts or 24 starts, 27 appearances. But he's never really been bad, but he's never really been the guy we thought he was going to be either. And a lot of that, I think, had to do with the strikeout rates, and that kind of came up in the short in 2020 dropped down a little bit in 2021 and really fell off in 2022 with Boston. However, Boston was not the greatest baseball team in the world. And he had 11 wins in 23 starts. Is there anything we can take from that? Statistically, probably not a lot of variance going on and he pitched good enough on the right days when they scored runs but it's hard to ignore that 11 sitting there in the win column in 2022 and only 23 starts, especially when he's going to a team that has the lineup like the Padres have, and he has the bullpen, Josh Hader out there. I think when we're on this chasing wins thing, this is something we probably do want to pay attention to as far as a back-end starter for fantasy teams. Yeah, I think he slides in that four spot. Whether they go five or six is still up in the air, and that will affect it a little bit. That could be a difference in three or four starts over a healthy season. So we do want to monitor that. But yeah, he slides in that four spot. Yeah, I think a lot of the comments about San Diego's rotation is that they had absolutely no depth whatsoever. So I see this as a depth move for sure. I'm also of the opinion I follow the narrative that Nick Martinez and Seth Lugo, they decided to sign with somebody who would give them an opportunity to start. I think Nick Martinez was pretty vocal about that. Lugo was pretty vocal about that as well. And they wanted the opportunity to start. So it makes sense that they would go with a six man to give that continue with the word that they probably gave to these guys. Hey, we're going to give you the opportunity. doesn't mean that it's going to stay all year round, (laughs) but it's not totally surprising to see them or see others suggest that they're going to go six man to give those guys that opportunity. They added more to their depth as well, Scott, with the the shocking signing of Cole Hamels with the Padres. He did a little a little show, I guess, recently and said that I'm definitely going to get signed out of, after this showing. They seemed pretty confident about that. And lo and behold, he did over. It is a minor league deal with the Padres over under on on 10 innings pitching for the Padres from Cole Hamels. Which one, which way would you go on that? I'm taking the over in part because, first of all, I feel like you got to at least give the guy his age, right? Like, at least give him 39. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> I <laughs> missed an opportunity there. Yeah. The Padres, you kind of alluded to this already. The Padres seem to be going with, let's throw literally everything against the wall and see what sticks. They signed Julio to run as well. Like, <laughs> yes. they've got, like, the 2016 All-Stars on this roster. And... I don't hate it because why why bring up some random long inning guy? Sure, Cole Hamels might not give them very much, but when you already have no depth, you already don't have a lot of anything going on. You, you Are you telling me that Cole Hamels couldn't come in and give you some kind of meaningful innings? The number one job of a pitcher is to get outs. It's not to necessarily be fantasy relevant because he's not. He never will be, except for maybe on one beautiful weekend where he lines up against the road Rockies or something. There's not a lot of fantasy juice here, but if they get 
on a minor league deal, if they get with the major league minimum, they get two starts out of this guy, right? Those 10 innings, 11 innings, that's a big win for them because they're going to be looking for every possible start they can get. Seth Lugo hasn't started a game since 2020, right? And it's not because the Mets had a super deep rotation. It was fine, but it's not like there wasn't room for Seth Lugo when he's throwing well. It's because the guy's got two pitches and really it's a one and a half pitch. He's one got an okay yeah. fastball and a breaking ball. And it's good. The breaking ball is good, but that's why he got moved to relief because he had one pitch. So even if they get Cole Hamels as a guy who can just get lefties out and they face a lefty heavy lineup or a bad lineup, they can get someone to eat those innings. I think it's there. 11 innings ain't that many, right? That's two starts. That's for him, maybe four or five appearances. I think it's theirs. Not fantasy relevant at all, but in real life. I'm yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. He's no Bartolo Cologne, but it's still fun. <laughs> it's something. It's <laughs> something to watch. Lefty and you can pitch. You got a long career ahead of you. Why are we watching? Because it's on TV. <laughs> yeah. They will like, they will unearth you from your grave. If that left arm can still rotate, they will just pull you out from the ground, put you in a rotation. That sounds good. I'm looking forward to watching that going up the coast a little bit. Scott, we have the Dodgers making another signing. Can the Dodgers work their magic with Alex Reyes, is he somebody worth stashing along and hoping, if, especially if you buy IL spots, that, since he's probably going to miss the first couple months of the season as he rehabs. Can the Dodgers work their magic with Reyes as we are expecting them to do with Noah Syndergaard, as they've done with Andrew Heaney and others? So it kind of works out because he's already got Dodgeritis, right? Like they already, <laughs> you already got to put he him on the IL every Through year, osmosis, every yes. <laughs> like he's... Again, a fine move, but no one's sitting here. I'm taking the under on 10 innings for him because like, like it's a, just a dice roll and it, it stinks because he had great stuff and he was really exciting to watch, but we'll see. But can they work their magic? What, they, can they put him on the IL seven times? Sure. Sure. That's the to me. That's like the Alex Reyes, they only need to put him on the IL once and it's going to be for a long time this time around. We'll yeah, see how sure. many times after he comes back, if he comes back. It is, I believe it is a two-year deal. So it's one of those things where it's hopefully they do as much as they can to rehab him. They get him back into the onto the field by the end of the year and they cash in in 2024. So I guess the question is, can they not only tap into the talent that obviously Alex Reyes has, but can they keep him healthy enough to actually cash in on that? I think the one thing they have going for him, though, is it doesn't matter, right? Because they have a surprisingly deep bullpen, despite the fact that, like, Daniel Hudson is slated to close. He's an okay reliever, but they've got Evan Phillips. They've got Bruster Gratterall. Like, they've got some pieces here, I think, that that are interesting. They don't really... It's almost the thing. When you... To sign Alex Reyes, you have to not need Alex Reyes. Because you might not get to use him at all. So you can bring him along slowly. There could be something there. Again, not a fantasy relevant thing outside of NL only leagues where every inning is relevant. Something to keep an eye on. He'll never start. He's not going to see the light of day in a, in a rotation ever again, which is what we kind of always hope for because he had electric stuff. But he could find a place in this bullpen. They've got a place in this bullpen right now for Shelby Miller, who I forgot still played baseball. Yep, there you go. So, <laughs> Deep <laughs> there, cut there right could there. could be room for Alex Reyes. <laughs> All right. There's going to be a lot more talk about bullpen talk. And I think Alex Reyes actually comes up on In the Pen with our own Rick Ram, who's also joining you as the rookie touter. He's doing NL tout. So he'll have the opportunity to think about 
drafting or stashing Alex Reyes on the on, on his bench. We'll see if that that's the direction he goes or not. Kevin Scott kind of alluded to the depth of this bullpen in LA for the Dodgers. Dave Roberts said that he doesn't expect to start the season with a set closer and also doesn't think that spring training is the right place to have that kind of competition for that job. So who are you expecting to get the job? Maybe not by opening day, but by the do you expect somebody to have the job by the end of April? No, I think of all teams that want to do this the way we know works, but not for us as fantasy players. It's that conundrum. We wish our favorite teams would do it, but we <laughs> wish everybody else wouldn't so we could draft closers for fantasy baseball. Of all teams, with Kinley Jansen gone, the Dodgers are the team that's going to play the matchups and put the guy out there. I've been drafting Evan Phillips. Because he, even if not getting saves, if he can do anything close to what he was doing last year, can still be very valuable to a fantasy team. I hope he gets a majority of the saves. I don't think that's going to be the case. I'm hoping for 10 or 15 out of him. And I don't know that anybody for the Dodgers will top that. I think that's where we're heading. And just to add on Alex Reyes, you guys both touched on it, but this is absolutely a gamble. We'll give you $1 million right now for the chance that if you're healthy in 2024, we get you for only 3 million. That's all that deal is. I don't think we see much of Alex Reyes at all in 2023. All right. So we'll move on then from that bullpen to stay in the NL West and go down to Arizona, Kevin. They added another reliever to, to their pen as well. We've got lefty Andrew Chafin return, making his return to Arizona. Though he's a lefty, he's still an option to close. Do you think he he has a chance to run away with that job, or is this as much of a committee as you're expecting the Dodgers to be? Maybe not as much of a committee, but what he does have going for him as a lefty is there are two other lefties in that bullpen right now, in Antiply and Kyle Nelson. So that helps if we're wanting to get saves out of Andrew Chafin. Mark Melanson is still there. We know these guys that have a history in the role, even when they haven't been great but have gotten saves, they tend to get pushed to the top. I think the funniest thing is you mentioned Arizona added to their bullpen and roster resource just added to the number of closers yeah, right? Arizona Diamondbacks have. <laughs> but they did move Chafin to the top, and I think there's a reason for that. I Because his name starts with an A? Yeah, <laughs> that could be. But it's just, I think it's, he could. This is another situation where I'm avoiding this because none of the guys that are going to get saves for Arizona are really great anywhere else else as in ratios or strikeouts but if i had to pick who would have the most saves for arizona i'd probably go with chafin and he is the one that i might consider in dcs in fact i've already drafted him in a dc because he was valuable for detroit of all people he was valuable for detroit tigers sorry scott without closing he was putting up some pretty nice numbers for us last year, and he was useful in that the guys we talk about every week that can give us some ratio help, maybe a few strikeouts, and might vulture a win or a save. So he's probably the one I would choose here, but yeah, that roster resource literally has five guys listed 
in the closer position for Arizona. And there might be, this might be an old Tampa situation. There might be 12 guys get a save for this team if they win 12 games. Yeah, I was only joking when I said because his name starts with an A, but as I'm looking now, they are in alphabetical order. They are, yeah. By first name, <laughs> which is a weird way of doing it, but just so happens that's the way it goes. That's also without talking about Scott McCo, who, you know, they you know, came back to the major leagues and joined that bullpen as well. So we'll see what he can do after transferring from overseas. Going to a different bullpen, Scott, because I think we've already talked enough about the Arizona bullpen. We don't need to double down on that, but feel free to cross, to go back if you really need to. Let's go over to Baltimore, where it's been noted that Felix Batista, the, the inherent closer there, may is a little behind schedule as he gets as he reports for spring training, and he's gonna he's gonna be taking a little longer to get into games as spring training ramps up which could push back his opening day status as well. Dylan Tate has already been announced that he'll start the season on the IL as well. Is there anybody else, or is it worth really speculating on anyone else in the Baltimore bullpen for early season saves, assuming that Batista doesn't miss a whole lot of time and that his shoulder, his knee, the combination of things that are bothering him don't keep him out too long? So on one hand, I think the answer I'm supposed to give you is no, right? There's just not a lot of value to this bullpen outside of Felix Batista, maybe Dylan Tate, if he hadn't been on the IL, but CNL Perez had opportunity. We thought he might get save opportunities last year with that 1.4 ERA. It was no good. He, he got one, right? The rest of this bullpen, there's him and Brian Baker, CNL Perez and Brian Baker are supposed to be the ones that, Oh, they might get save opportunities, but we don't even know how many that will be. And they'll be sharing them, right? Sharing save opportunities for a single month is what? two or three saves tops. That's not worth drafting really in any format. And as much as I love that 1.4 ERA from CNL Perez, it's not like it came with a ton of strikeouts, nor do I think it's super repeatable for him. I think he's more of like a mid three ERA kind of guy. Like he's always been not super exciting. I think all you can really do is hope that Felix Batista comes back. He's really the only one that I'm rostering in basically any format as we head into the season. That's probably fair, especially for a long period of time. I think this conversation might come up again, Kevin, in our when we get to the category of saves and we're talking about guys that we might be targeting literally just for the first week or week and a half of the season. If we hear that Batista is not coming along or he's going to miss maybe a couple weeks of the first couple weeks of the season, or maybe he sticks around for extended spring training or whatever it is, it will be something I'm monitoring if I'm just trying to get one or two saves like Scott like you mentioned one or two saves at the beginning of the season it's a risk worth taking that you know what if they don't get me my saves I drop them whatever but it is worrisome that there's not really much in this bullpen that they could do more harm than good I think as you're alluding to as well Michael Givens obviously has the experience with Baltimore now that he's back in Baltimore there's always the opportunity that he regains that I, I'm not holding my breath per se, but it is a situation I think you have to monitor if you are really desperate and you need the one or two saves that could really, it's something that we would be doing in August or September if you need one or two saves to jump in the category. So it's not something that should be completely ignored in April just because you're already, you're, everybody's at the same number at zero saves going in. Right. In a deep league, you know we're not going to have seven starters pitching that opening weekend most likely it, if you do congratulations probably not even six 
trying to pick out a guy in a situation like this in that weekend. They're at the Red Sox the opening weekend, but just hoping for one, right? Like you said, it counts as much then as it does on the final weekend of the season when we need that one. And then we're at the Rangers and the Yankees come to town. If things still aren't settled after that first 10 days of the season, they they have four games against the Athletics at home. I'm really going to try to pin this down if Bautista still isn't back and we still don't know what's going on at that point. That second full week of the season, seven games, four of them against the Athletics. We'll probably be talking about this again at that point, trying to figure this out, who might get us one or even two that week. Yeah, and I know that there's going to be a lot of extra noise this year in spring training, especially with all the rule changes and stuff like that. But one thing that has held true is, first of all, the closers don't come in at the end of games in spring training. They usually are one of the first ones up. Usually um, the first the, reliever, once they yep. get into their groove. You want them facing off against the starters, right? And he wants up. to get to the golf course. Yeah, okay. and that's, <laughs> yes, see who earned that opportunity. So keep an eye on who they're calling in the third or fourth inning when the starter's getting pulled after the third or fourth inning to see who, and obviously to see how they're doing against those starters as well of the opposing lineup. Kevin, the last, no, not the last, but another bullpen situation change. Matt Moore, he signs with the Angels. Is there anything to note here? Obviously joins the bullpen here into another situation that has a lot of possible closers. Carlos Estevez being one of the more recent ones joining. Jimmy Herger as well. Is there anything to look at with Moore? Can he add anything even if he's not picking up a stray save here or there? Probably not. There was a couple of times. This is somebody I'll keep an eye on throughout the season because there was a couple of times in 2022 where I did at least consider him for a week, if not use him in a spot or two. Once again, deeper leagues. He was out there. He was pitching well, and there was a spot. I I think most people believe it's going to be Estevez. Herget had the job towards the end of last season. Tepper is still there. So I, I don't think he is somebody they brought in to even compete for the role or even get many opportunities if it is a committee. I think he's thought of more of a mid-game reliever, fifth, sixth inning guy for right now. But it's definitely something to keep an eye on. If he starts performing well and the other guy's out, there's nobody here that it jumps off the page. They're going to run away with the job. So it's something to monitor, but I don't think he's at the top of the list for the angels at this point. Yeah. Like you mentioned with Chafin, he's more is also not the only lefty in that bullpen as well. So a couple options there to back up. He doesn't have to be the dedicated lefty that comes in as well. And they have four closers on roster resource, but they are not in alphabetical order. So <laughs> the fact that Matt Moore is listed fourth may not matter or may matter even more in, in that scenario. All right, last bullpen piece we're going to talk about is part of a trade, Scott. We got A.J. Puck. He got traded from Oakland to Miami in return that Oakland Athletics got J.J. Blade. I'm actually not going to ask you to talk about the bullpen. I want to talk to you about the hitter because you are the hitterless guy. Can J.J. Blade actually do anything with an opportunity with the A's in Oakland? Or what's your take on Blade in this new situation? God, he went from one terrible hitter's yeah. park to another <laughs> terrible hitter's park with a terrible lineup. So being in a terrible lineup does give guys an opportunity to play. 
So I think that there are plate appearances for him in Oakland that he might not have been able to find in Miami, which again, a rough place to be when you can't get plate appearances in Miami. It means you might not be very good at this major league baseball thing. He's got major holes in his swing. And that's really the problem that we see with Blade. He just, he can't make the good contact. He's just got a major problem making good contact. And that's a, Again, really tough place to be, especially when you're a lefty. You should, when you're a lefty, you really got to hit right-handed pitching. He doesn't do it particularly well. He didn't do anything at the dish particularly well, nor did we really see him make major improvements. At one point, Blade was like a well-regarded prospect. He was a guy that if you collect baseball cards, you're like, ooh, a J.J. Blade. Not so much anymore. It's tough. I hope he gets playing time, but even if he gets the playing time, man, there's so much room for those fouls and stuff that he hits to just get to get landing it just to landing gloves in that giant foul territory they have in the Coliseum. He doesn't the strikeout rate like it, it's not good. He does walk some, but even then, when you strike out as much as he does and make weak contact as much as he does, you can't get a 300 OBP. I want it. I wish I could be excited, and there was like a time that I was excited, but even even if you look at his triple A. He still struck out last year 27% of the time in AAA. That does not translate well to the major leagues. You cannot strike out that much in the minors and have a good season in the majors. Just doesn't work that way. Even with those walk rates, the guy had a 228 average down there. Yeah, he hit 20 home runs. There is power in this bat, but it's hard to unlock in the Coliseum in Oakland. And it's hard to unlock when you're a platoon player. It's hard to unlock when you're on a bad team. And it's hard to unlock when... You swing too much and make bad contact. So I want there to be something here, but I just don't think there is. You can't force you can't force the things that just aren't meant to be, though, Scott. Fourth overall pick in the 2019 draft, JJ Blade has obviously not lived up to the draft slot, to say the least, with Miami. AJ Puck, though, also hasn't lived up, but most of that has to do with his injury concerns throughout his career. Oakland thought or they said that they were planning on stretching him out and giving him an, one, another opportunity to enter that rotation that is not going to be up for them to decide. So, Kevin, is this ultimately, now that he's in Miami, does this ultimately end any and all discussion of A.J. Puck becoming a starter? Should he just be embracing the bullpen role that he actually did pretty good at in Oakland last year in the small sample size that he was able to put up? What's your take on Puck? And can we see him at the end of games of Miami or is this another situation where we have, I know it is, I'm looking at Rosarizas right now. We have four CLs in that bullpen as well. Can he make his way to the top of that list in Miami? Maybe I would say no, but I would say they want to build him up, let him perform showcases, talent, flip him at the deadline. But, This is a team that already has Braxton. They don't have room for Braxton Garrett as it sits right now. Yuri Perez is coming. Sixto Sanchez. We've heard stories about his work ethic and things, but if he's healthy, they're definitely going to want to showcase him so they can get some value for him in a trade. Max Meyer is probably out for the season with his surgery, but those are all guys that are not penciled into the starting rotation right now. And, guys that they would probably want to to see what they have prior to A.J. Puck. So I think Puck definitely is the bullpen guy. 
And we heard early in the off season, they were going to bring someone in and they didn't, and they didn't, and they didn't. And people got more confidence in Floro and started drafting him a little higher. And then they brought in Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes has experience as the closer, but is he really that guy that we're going to bring in from outside the organization? Is he really that much better than anybody they could have transferred into the bullpen or used in the ninth inning? I think they probably want AJ Puck to be the closer. I don't have anything to back this up, but I get the feeling this is their move. Probably Matt Barnes to start the season, Floro in the mix, but I think they want AJ Puck to take over this job. A lot of options there. Like you said, Matt Barnes being the guy that they just technically traded for. Granted, he was DFA'd and what have you, but they did trade for him. I would expect Barnes to be the guy that opens up. But again, the situation to watch in spring training to see who's getting who's getting up first on that mound in the first couple of games to see who they're utilizing those spots in Miami. All right, couple hitters. We'll finally get away from the bullpen talk here, guys. Thank Kevin, goodness. Got to get got to get to your Royals though. They made another move. They haven't made a whole lot of moves this year, this offseason, but they do make a minor league deal with Franmil Reyes who was a minor league free agent after not being kept around by the Cubs. He signs with the Royals with an invitation to spring training. I'm going to quote Rob, not quote, I'm going to paraphrase Rob Silver and ask you, is Franmil Reyes the automatically the best outfielder on the in this in this for this franchise at the moment it's possible and take my royal fandom completely out of this i'm a big fran mill reyes fan i hope he is and i don't mean that as in the rest of the outfielders performing poorly i hope he can get back to what we saw in 2021 30 home runs, 85 RBI with a 254 batting average, 324 on base, slug 522. That that's less than two years ago. We saw that happen from Fran Mill Reyes. And he did all that in only 466 plate appearances, 115 games. And that's why many of us, including myself, including you as well, sorry if you didn't want to be called out on that, we're drafting him at this time last season. I drafted him uh, yesterday. <laughs> yeah, very nice. A DC, I, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A nice lottery ticket at this point. Now, he didn't do anything near to that in roughly the same amount of plate appearances. His home runs cut in half, and he only hit 221 with a 273 OBP. It's He showed flashes. We talked about him a little bit last week or two weeks ago when we were talking about power in late rounds or early season fab guys. It's tough. I don't know what we're looking at here. Other showed flashes when he first got to the Cubs. So my hope is even as a, not as a Royals fan that he comes out of spring training on fire and he's the right fielder for the Kansas city Royals as a Royals fan. Then I don't know what the heck else is going on. This is already really crowded. This is maybe the hardest lineup in baseball to figure out once you get past the four spot. Melendez, Witt, Salvi, and Pasquantino, those four we know. But then we're talking Edward Olivares, Kyle Isabel. Roster Resource has them in left field and right field. But MJ Melendez has said that he expects to be the everyday left fielder. 
That means he's not the designated hitter. That gives us another spot for a guy like Fran Mil Reyes, but that leaves out either Oliveris or Kyle Isbell, a couple of guys that a lot of fantasy players have been hoping would get consistent runs so we can see what they could do. Don't know it is the answer. Even as a Royals fan and somebody that tries to keep up and reads articles about the Royals on a daily basis, my hope is Fran Mill figures out whatever it is he need to figure out and he is going to play like he did in 2021. In that case, then it's a good problem for the Royals to have. We'll figure out the other two outfield spots or DH in the days that Salvador Perez is catching. Maybe Fran Mill Reyes is the DH. That's my hope, but th- this is tough. This is a cro- crowded both infield and outfield. There are young players in both spots we want to see play. And they have veterans on the payroll that we'll probably see instead, at least for a while. That's probably all fair. We got another outfielder that signed just today. I saw come across Scott. We have the Texas Rangers added to their outfield depth with Robbie Grossman. What kind of impact do you see Grossman making on the Rangers outfield situation? He'll play. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's, he's Robbie Grossman is a volume OBP play. That's all he is. It's not a lot of volume. It's like eighth or ninth, wherever he'll hit. You know, that that season he had with the Tigers in 2021, that 20 home run, 20 stolen base. Get that out of your mind. That's gone. That, that Where did those stolen one, bases come from? It, it was a magical, beautiful time for him that everything worked out. But wouldn't count on it. I think even if he gets a full season, you hope for double digits and home runs and steals with the rule changes and things like that. He's a switch hitter. He has value as a real world player, which gives him volume. And we're talking about volume. We're talking about batting average. The batting average is no good, but the OBP can be right because he takes plenty of walks. He struck out a lot in his plate appearances last year. I didn't love that, but historically he hasn't always struck out that much. I think he can come back down just a little bit in the strikeout department, be like a, if he, as long as he's only sitting around like 23 to 25% strikeout rate, I think there's a decent player here again for OBP, just pure volume, more of an NL only play or a last couple rounds of a draft and hold kind of guy, which I mean, Hey, this podcast is all about that, right? There's guys back there that can do things that are valuable, but he's a fill in. He's a warm body, right? He's, it's not even, I don't even want to compare him to like a Toby, Right. He's just a warm body. He's just played appearances with some walks, minimal power. He's not going to score a lot of runs. He's not going to get a lot of RBI. He's not going to steal a lot of bases, but he'll do a little bit of everything. And again, there's value as a guy who's at the back of your bench in very deep leagues. But in any kind of league where you have where you can actually make roster moves, he needs to stay on the wire. Simple as that. Yeah, he's not even somebody that I think I'd be bringing up at the end of this episode for somebody who walked into a, a situation where he's going to get more playing time than you thought he might. Though, as far as that goes, he did walk into a situation where he's going to get more playing time than if he had gone to a lot of other different places, say like Atlanta or anybody anywhere else. I think so, what's interesting about Robbie Grossman is over the past couple of seasons, he's become known as uh, much better versus lefties, even though he's a switch hitter. And although his career numbers reflect that as well, not near to the extreme of the last couple of seasons. So now we're bringing in, he's much worse as a left-handed hitter. Now we're bringing in 
the shift rules changes and can that help him from that side of the plate? It's going to be, he's going to be one of those guys really worth keeping a close eye on in spring training. Yeah. He's weird for that because he, his power mostly comes when he's facing righties. Right. As a lefty. Yeah. Yeah. He pulls, he's able to pull the ball up in the air a little better as a left-handed batter. But as a right-handed batter, he puts a lot more balls in play, gets a better batting average. So it's kind of weird because usually you just see, I'm good against lefties. I'm not good against the others. And that's not really how he does it. He's like a different hitter from both sides. There's value. DFS is almost where the most of the value is because contact guys put the ball in play guys. Those are really valuable in DFS because that can turn into anything. That's fair. And like, Kevin mentioned with the shift rules, he who's to say that batting average from the left side of the plate doesn't get a little bit better as he's knocking the ball toward the right side of the field. All right, last thing here I want to touch on is the Cubs made another move, Kevin. They signed our boy, Edwin Rios. We've been clamoring for Rios to get more playing time. Obviously, as, as old as this podcast is, I think when he was with the Dodgers, of course, he doesn't, he didn't get offered arbitration with the Dodgers. So he came free agent. He finally signs. He signs with the Cubs. Did he find a spot where he's going to find any more playing time though on the corners in Chicago than he was finding when he was healthy with the Dodgers? Maybe, probably not, but maybe. It's interesting because third base is what's interesting for the Cubs. They have Christopher Morel penciled in right there on roster resource right now who didn't have nearly as good of a second half in 2022 as he did first half. He, he fell off pretty dramatically and they still have him in the lineup ahead of Patrick wisdom, who is now about to be 32 years old and high power, low average, high strikeout guy. So maybe the, it's not like he has to be an all-star to take over this third base job. he's It's not his. They're not handing it to him. He might not even be on the major league roster on opening day, but I think he has an opportunity here in Chicago, and it will depend on how Morel and Wisdom are playing as well. But I think this is a spot where he has a chance. Uh, yeah, as of right now, there are two guys in front of him, although they may not be that far in front of him. He's got one thing that God gave him that he didn't give the other two, and that's that he's left-handed. Rios is left-handed. That's the advantage he has over the other two. He's not that different than either one. He doesn't make a ton of contact. He strikes out too much, but he has power. He's like a left-handed Patrick Wisdom, which if you have a left-handed Patrick Wisdom and a right-handed Patrick Wisdom, you might have a good player. We're all smiling and nodding for those just listening and can't see us. It's a little too perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Cubs certainly seem to have built up their roster to utilize as much platooning as possible between Eric Hosmer, Cody Bellinger in center field, and Tucker Barnhart at catcher. And their counterparts on the bench, all righties. So we'll see how they utilize that on a daily basis. But yeah, you might as well add to it and just have the left-handed version of Patrick Wisdom on there as well. So something to keep an eye on. And I would just like to see Rios get some kind of more playing time that we saw when he was healthy with the Dodgers once again. But the other question remains, Scott. The last question here is, 
why do the Cubs hate Matt Mervis as he was the darling draftee back in October and November. And then the Cubs came along and they brought in Eric Hosmer. They brought in Trey Mancini. And now they brought in another corner infielder to eat that up. Corner infield slash DH to block the way. Rios, again, besides being a lefty, is on the 40-man roster after the signing. Matt Mervis is not. Does this do anything to block Mervis more so than the other guys already had? Just, I wonder if the Cubs thought he did too good in the minor leagues when they promoted him from high A to double A to triple A, where he just continued to rake the whole way, struck out less each level he went up. Excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. You're too good. You need to bring it down. No, he just, he still needs to work on his defense. Oh yes. That's what this is all about. At the edge. This is why I don't run a major league franchise because I don't understand this and I'm sure there's something. Right. I'm sure somebody in their mind thought this was the right thing to do. All the guy did was hit for power everywhere he went. Like every time he went, he slugged darn near 600 all three levels. I guess they did, they thought the 240 plate appearances at AAA weren't good enough. He had at least a 152 WRC plus there. When you're looking at these minor league stats, you love WRC plus because it adjusts to that league. And he was just like 50% better than everyone else. Everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> that everyone, he was just better than them. So again, he was, again, like he came out of nowhere. And that to me is the only explanation where they're like, they came out of nowhere. So we should watch a little more. Yeah. With a bunch of dudes. So you like, that's the, my problem with the major league rosters. They know every, every guy they have in the corners, they know exactly what they are. There's no questions about what Patrick Wisdom is. There's no question about what Eric Hosmer is. There's no questions about any of those. It's not a competitive team. This team does, there's no way it makes the playoffs. Like, yeah, sure. Now I've probably willed them into the playoffs by saying that. But this <laughs> roster is not good. They don't pitch well. They don't hit well. Why not at least see if the one guy who's doing good stuff can do some good stuff? No, that's too much. Let's let him sit in AAA for a while and be good again. He probably will be, and it won't matter. Sorry, it's very frustrating because all the guys be good. Every time you moved him up a level, he was good. He like one of the only thing, like one of the only things going on for the Cubs. It's like good. It's like him and Seiya Suzuki, right? That's all they've got going for him right now. And it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. They're going to let him sit in AAA for a little while longer. I have family in Des Moines, Iowa, that are going to love going to the ballpark to watch Matt Mervis play, <laughs> and just Matt Mervis. <laughs> Lucky for them, it looks as though the Cubs are doing whatever they can to make that a reality <laughs> for them, for all those fans in Iowa. All right, I, that is enough news. We've talked a lot about a lot of stuff that probably isn't going to be relevant for a lot of people. But you know what? For the five people listening that it does is relevant for, I, I'm thankful that we were able to hit on all that. Let's get into the strategy that we're talking about today and it's regarding how you're drafting batting average, how you're taking advantage of plate appearance, like volume and plate appearances on the hitting side. We'll get to that after this quick break. All right, we are back. You're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined by Kevin Hastings. And we are lucky to be joined by the newest Tout Wars member, Scott Chu. And yes, Scott, I am going to I'm going to hammer that fact in as much as humanly possible throughout this episode as well. Uh, So congratulations once again on that opportunity. But let's get into the strategy revolving around batting average because we hear a lot about analysts talking about either, you know what, if I'm going to punt something, I'm going to punt batting average. I'm going to go after those counting stats because I have more control over those or I I can really attack that 
with a little bit more purpose, but batting average, especially if you are of the mindset of getting as many plate appearances as possible can be more harmful than anything else as obviously the more volume you get out of a hitter, the more impact that batting average of that hitter makes on your roster and in your stats. First and foremost, Scott, what is your overall strategy revolving around targeting batting average? We're talking of standard five by five, We're not talking OBP. We're just talking about the standard five hitting categories, runs, home runs, RBI, stolen bases, and batting average. How are you, how do you revolve your draft strategy revolving around that one particular statistic? So the thing about batting average is after about the top 50 hitters go, it's hard to find, right? And if you're finding after the top 50 hitters, you're always sacrificing for something. The fact of the matter is it's hard to find guys who bat at the top of the lineup after the first 50 hitters are gone. It's hard to find guys that bat for a high batting average because again those are the guys generally at the top of lineups right you don't have you don't have some guys a 300 hitter and you're like oh let's bat him ninth the teams just don't do it that way so with batting average i'm really trying to accumulate it early right we talk about steals and getting those early i'm actually on batting average early because that's where i get my that's what i love about freddie freeman right in my rankings over on the site we love to call pitcher list i have freddie freeman as my number one first baseman because i know for a fact that he's probably going to lead all first baseman in batting average right because batting average again it's a real stat it's a hard one to get your hands on it streaming for batting average is a little more difficult than other stats simply because you can get it exactly right but batting average is super luck driven right you can't walk your way to a good batting average you can walk your way to runs You can middle of the lineup your way to RBI, but you can't do it with batting average. So I really try to target it early, make sure that my early picks, I hate sacrificing batting average early on because then it really forces my hand later in the draft to take guys I'm sure we'll talk about later because once like Luis Arias and Jeff McNeil are gone, what then, right? There's not batting average sitting back there. On the other hand, now, if you're in a head-to-head categories league, that is where I shift where I say with head-to-head categories, you only care about one week and you cannot predict batting average in one week. It's way too fluky for that. So it is a puntable thing in head-to-head categories because in Roto, if you have the worst batting average team, you will get the least amount of points. But if you have the worst batting average team in a head-to-head categories league, you still will win the category some weeks because as much as Adolis Adolis Garcia's average is okay, but even if it tanks a little, there will be weeks he hits like 400. Because that's just the type of player he is. There are weeks that Fran Mil Reyes will hit 400. Even as a 200 hitter, he'll hit 400 some weeks because that's how these things go, right? They get hits in bunches every once in a while. The, the baseball looks like a beach ball and they just beat the heck out of it. In head-to-head categories, I'm willing to punt it more. I care less. But anything Roto, I, I got to be on it. And again, in points, batting averages half your freaking points. So it's what it feels like. So I'm looking for guys to make contact in those leagues, but... Yeah, categories, I don't care as much, but in Roto, sure. I got to get it early. So, Kevin, are you the same way? Like, is this a target of yours early on in drafts? Or there are still players that are going in the first three rounds that are not providing you with that cushion, and you've got to back that up with other, you're getting other things from them. I'm looking at Kyle Schwarber with the power and what have you. But even if he adds a couple of ticks of batting average due to the shift rules and all that, he's still not a cushion. So, how much of a target is that in the early going for you and how are you willing to how much are you willing to shift away from it to get a big bopper or somebody who you think is a little bit more guaranteed for those other counting stats 
It's really tricky because I wouldn't call it a target. It's so volatile and it varies so much that if you target it, you may not get it. So target isn't something I do. I, the times that I have consciously tried to pay more attention to the batting averages of the players I'm drafting, think I have had ended up with better teams, better fantasy teams. So I try to pay attention. So I'm going back and forth and rambling a little bit here because it's a tricky thing. I'm not targeting it, but we have to pay attention to it. I'm not over or even in my case, really paying too much attention to the shift rule changes as far as hitters go, but it will affect some. I just don't think we know which ones for sure. And ones we think it will, it might not, or they have a bad year and they just don't drop as much. Or we've brought up Corey Seager before Corey Seager's batting average is going to be higher in 2023 than it was in 2022. It would be whether or not there were rules changes with the shift, but that's what everybody's going to point to when it does happen. We just don't know the extent. How much would it have went up without the shift changes? How much compared to what it's going to end up going up in, in 2023? So it's a weird thing. I It's something I don't target. But like I said, when I pay attention to it more, I seem to do better. It's weird. It's like Scott said, in head-to-head, punt it. You can almost punt it in roto and not end up punting. Because you don't know what these guys are going to do when it comes to batting average. You can end up, the, and I'm really rambling now, but we have targets. Though, if we're looking at 80 percentile targets, everybody's talking about stolen bases going up. Overall, batting averages are going to go up. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. whose averages are going up. But overall, <laughs> we're going to need a higher batting average to compete. We are. That's a fact. It's like I said a couple weeks ago, somebody said they don't even know if stolen bases are going to go up. They are going to go up. That much I'm confident in. I am confident that overall league batting average is going to go up. But where where and how much, it's just weird. All of that I probably could have just said in one sentence and said I don't target it, but I try to pay attention. There it is. All right. Where's the fun in that, though? Yeah. When you guys talking about punting, though, like batting average, there's a difference between punting and, and ignoring, ignoring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if you're punting batting average you're literally going out seeking out the 215 hitters and you're like all right i'm definitely i'm going out for the after that one point in that category ignoring or not prioritizing is a lot different than that you're like you can punt saves by not drafting closers you can punt stolen bases by not drafting anybody who's going to run average is harder to punt like you have to actively do it in order to after you go after the guys who are going to get you a sub 220 batting average, or at least you're pretty confident in that. And a lot of that has to do with volume as well. So Kevin, you talk a lot, you've talked about volume. We talked about it in a previous episode, how you thought the going after the plate appearances is probably gone too far. And there's a way you can zig while everybody else is zagging. How much weight are you putting on the volume to actually impact your batting average. Scott, you talked about Freddie Freeman being a target or at least your number one first baseman. He also puts up more plate appearances than just about every other first baseman. So that average goes a lot further and then say 
Christian Walker, who's gonna not going to put up as good of a batting average, but it's not going to hurt as much either because he's not putting up as many plate appearances. So, Kevin, like, how important is that volume when punting or not punting the category? Yeah, and that's a good point to clarify that as well because it this is where it comes into play. It's the guys that have the lower batting averages. It's not the – yeah, absolutely. When Whit Merrifield for – three seasons or whatever it was hitting 300 with 700 at bats because he never walks. That was absolutely amazing. Those guys are few and far between, but the reverse will go to the extreme. Joey Gallo walks enough that he doesn't have nearly as many at bats as he does plate appearances. So you can stomach that a little better, but we've brought this up before. You got to be careful. You can't say, I don't care about batting average for my catchers because all catchers have horrible batting averages and I'm going to draft Joey Gallo. And then here's another guy, Fran Mill Reyes is going to be in a platoon. And so if he hits 220, that doesn't hurt me that much. You got to be careful as they begin to add up or you get into a spot where you can't recover from it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fair. Scott, you mentioned earlier, like later on in the draft, like the Jeff McNeils and Luis Arises are going to dry up. A lot of these guys, we typically consider them to be quote empty batting average. When is it like, when are you okay with going after a empty batting average? Like what's the like guarantee you need to get that you're going to get that batting average? Like Luis Arias, Jeff McNeil batting champions, right? Are they going to repeat? You Do you know that for sure? Are there certain things that you're looking for that make you comfortable drafting a guy like that that, or guys like that that aren't really going to give you any other category? The most important thing for me on these empty batting average sort of guys is that there's only one way for it not to be totally empty, and that's for it to be near the top of the lineup. Right, So Luis Araya is going to Miami. He's going to bat first. That also means run scored, another stat that's hard to find late in the draft because it's, it's a thing that sort of feeds on itself. When you have a good batting average, your team puts you towards the top of the lineup to take the most advantage of that batting average and get you those runs scored. Whereas guys who have a good batting average but get buried, decent batting average, let's say they can hit 270, but they get buried in that lineup. Like, a again, if I stay with Miami, a guy like a Joey Wendell who can hit 270, but it's going to be down at the bottom of the lineup platooning. Like, I no longer care, right? Because as you mentioned, the batting average stat is really more like hits you're really you're going after hits and that's where all the volume comes from batting average mat like those empty batting average guys matter to me at the top of the lineup now of course i'd love it if they do something else but if you're at the top of the lineup that means you can at least get me batting average and run scored because unlike a stat like stolen bases batting average leads to other things you drive in runners when you keep getting singles it just happens mm-hmm. because you keep putting the ball in play. How it works. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> simple thing. So it's like when you had to, if you have to chase like a, as Paul Spore would say, a rabbit who just gets stolen bases, don't really give you anything else. They don't necessarily lead to anything else. You don't steal a base and get an RBI for it, right? It just doesn't count that way. That's not <laughs> how the stat works, right? And it might impact runs, but only if people behind you hit and all these other things. And you might have gotten there anyway. If you're fast enough to steal, you're probably fast enough to go from first to home on a double, right? With a guy like Luis Arias, a guy like Jeff McNeil, I want it to be in the top four or five spots in the lineup. I want it to be hopefully on a team that can score some runs or at least has some decent batters at the top. Arias hitting in front of another sort of empty batting average guy, which is Gene Segura, right? 
having them, having both of them up there means that they can give each other some runs. Segura can get a couple RBIs with the Raya's always on base, but it has to come with those other stats because that's what volume is. Volume is being up there to drive in those couple extra guys. Last thing though, leadoff guys don't get RBI. They get 50 mm-hmm. tops, right? But that's okay because run scored matter. It is hard to find run scored later on because the guys on your waiver wire don't lead off. They hit seven, eight, nine. There's not run scored there. It can be a difficult stat to get your hands on. So empty batting average also means run scored. When those two come together, I'm all about it. Yeah, that's fair enough as well. I, Kevin, you touched on this already, but I'll, Scotland, get your take on this. Do you expect average to be the category of batting average to be more or less valuable as a whole with the possible return of a dead end ball, the new shift rules, as Kevin alluded to? Are you on the same kind of page of Kevin where you're assuming average is going to go up across the board or specific players are going to be benefiting a little bit more than others? As far as the rule changes go, it's very specific players. And I agree with Kevin. It's unpredictable. We don't know who's going to do it because there's a massive variance in how much the shift helps anyway. And let's be clear, the shift rules come in to change how teams position defenders, but teams are still going to position defenders in a way that takes hits away. That's their job. Managers have very few jobs about telling players what to do on the field, but this is one of them. They tell them where to stand. We've already seen, you've probably seen the tweets and everything that go around that talk about how teams are going to move outfielders things like that, teams are going to reposition their infielders to take hits away. That's still going to happen. The effectiveness of it might go down a bit. But guys who, when you hit the ball into predictable places, high ground ball hitters who pull the ball a lot, especially lefties, they're easy to shift on. It's easy to move your second baseman. And yes, you can give up the you can give up the left side of the infield or you can give up parts of the outfield because you know those guys just don't hit it there. <clears throat> so I do think batting average becomes more valuable because I do think that a deadened ball can change might change how certain hitters hit, right? Because they when the the harder it is to hit home runs, the more you have to certain players have to just stop doing that. But it's very much a player by player thing. And will be some it'll be a narrative we talk about, I think, next offseason, where we say, Oh, look, this guy did but I think trying to predict it. Even Corey Seeger, who we say had this many hits taken away by the shift. Corey Seeger can hit the ball to all fields, right? Corey Seeger, Corey Seeger gets the ball off the ground a little bit and he gets those hits back, right? Because the shift only works on low line drives and grounders. And Corey Seeger doesn't he lifts the ball a little bit. No matter how you shift your infielders, mm-hmm. a ball that goes in the air is not affected by the shift. Still in the air. Yeah. <laughs> right. Still going overheads. Yeah. <laughs> you don't care where they are if you hit it high. So I think average gets better. I also think that the shift impact is dramatically overrated by folks going into draft season. Yeah. I think the thing to keep in mind is, like I said, the overall league batting average is going to go up. That means overall our fantasy batting average that we need is going to go up. So early in the season, you get towards the end of April and you're sitting at 256 and you're like, all right, that I'm not too far off, 259, 260 or whatever. That's what I needed last year in a 15-team league. Wrong. You probably need 262 or 263. So I think that's what I'm keeping in mind more is the overall aspect of it. 
than how it's affecting individual players. Yeah, definitely something to keep in mind as you are going through your drafts and making sure that you are deciding whether or not you need to prioritize this or not. I do think that the overall volume plays a bigger role than I think a lot of people can consider as they're drafting. And Scott, as you mentioned, the guys at the top of the lineup obviously are going to have more opportunity to add in those, that extra volume that's going to make more of a dent into that overall batting, especially in those roto leagues. Couldn't echo even enough the, what you both already said about head-to-head category leagues. Totally an area in which you can, again, maybe not punt, but per se, but not prioritize nearly as much as in a roto league where it is a category, one of the 10 categories. All right, enough strategy talk. Let's talk some players. Again, as we have done in the last couple of episodes, we're looking at players that you might consider at the very end of your 12-teamers. We're talking about rounds 28, 29, 30. 12-teamer, possibly in the same rounds, maybe a little bit later as well in your 15-teamers as well. Guys, you are not expecting to keep on your roster past week two unless something crazy happens and you you strike gold. But that's not the idea here. The idea of these players is that these players are not getting drafted and you see them having an opportunity to either put up extra plate appearances. They Maybe they have a couple extra games at the beginning of the season. They have four games in that opening weekend. Maybe they have a full seven-game stre- stretch in week one. Whatever the reason might be, maybe they're going to end up, you think they're going to end up in a different spot to line up than what Roster Resource says, and they're going to gain in that. So they can either add to your overall plate appearances in your volume, or more specifically, even better, it's if they can add any, if you think they can get onto a hot streak early on and get your batting average up off to a good start. Rules are, of course, these are guys that have an ADP of 325 or later in the last month's worth of online championships on the NFBC platform. These are 12 teamers, fab leagues. A lot of the guys we we're going to talk about, I think, aren't even being drafted at all. At, and so they are readily available in your 12 teamers, probably still going to get picked up in 15 teamers, but still not guys you expect to keep on your roster past April at the latest. As we go category, um, not category by category, but by position groupings, Scott, I'm going to let you pick the first one you want to talk about. We've got a corner infielder, we've got a middle infielder, and we've got an outfielder that you got to hit on. Which which was positions you want to start with and take it away? Who's your choice? I'm dying to talk about a rolling chart. I haven't done it this whole time. I, feel I know, like right? I can't believe you made it this long. So I'm going to talk about Alex Kirilov. So Alex Kirilov did a couple. He ended last season hurt. And I think there's been some concern. He's hurt this wrist twice now. He just had a surgery on it, put a plate in. I don't want to compare him to Kirk Gibson yet, but Kirk Gibson did have this same surgery. He ended up being okay after it. It fixed the problem. Hopefully it fixed the problem for Alex Kirilov. I think that's one of the reasons his draft price is so down. This guy's got a great hit tool. If you look at the rolling charts we have that that we've got up on our app right now, it's amazing stuff we have using PLV for hitters. The contact ability for Alex Kirilov was pretty much above 90%, uh, 90th percentile the entire season, right? The guy just makes contact when he swings the bat. What changed for him as the season went on was his decision value. Now, the way decision value works for us is basically when you chose to swing or not swing based on the type of pitch you saw, where it was located, how hard they threw it, all those things. Was it the right decision or not? Were you adding to your run expectancy or were you lowering it, right, by choosing to swing or not swing? And in two strike counts for Kirilov, it starts out very poor. By the end of the season, it is very good, right? So he goes all the way up 
to the se- between the 75th and 90th percentile in the, really for the last third of the season or so. What I love about it is just we've always known he has a good hit tool. It's just been a matter of staying healthy and getting opportunities. Now, the nice thing is there's not a lot of guys to take opportunities away from Alex Karoloff. Right now, they're projecting him to hit seventh. But for some reason, they have Max Kepler much higher than that, and they have Joey Gallo above that. There's no reason that should be the case. Alex Karoloff is better at hitting than both of those guys. I think he can move up in the lineup. I think he can do it fast. I think we can see some really nice batting average out of Alex Karoloff with some power as well and maybe some RBI because I definitely think he should be batting in that top five for them. What I really like about this pick is that, again, this is exactly the kind of target I'm talking about, is the kind of target that you might not trust that he will be healthy all year round, but he's healthy now supposedly. At least we'll see that for sure during spring training. And if he's healthy now, he's in that lineup. He's getting the at-bats. He's putting up, he's been given the opportunity to utilize the skill set in which we've seen throughout the minors in that it is that hit tool as you're alluding to. So I like to call out it all. And to clarify as well, he is your corner infielder and choice right here. He may be available in the outfield still in certain formats, but this we're going with the corner infield for your choice here. I went with Eduardo Escobar and at the last second, of course, I knew you were going to bring up the rolling charts. So of course, all my choices here. I had to bring up the rolling charts, at least for my own visual sake. And as I told Kevin beforehand, I might have chosen poorly on some of these based on some of the choices. But I will say Eduardo Escobar, as bad of a season as he has, which he vocally admitted to, he felt bad about it throughout the season. He did turn, it did come back around toward the end of the season. And he was, he was making those decisions as you were talking about the decision chart in the upper echelon of major league baseball in the last in the few last month and a half of the season this is something where i think that over the course of the season escobar is going to lose at bats to brett Beatty and probably cede that third base position completely but i do think that unless he has a completely mind blowing bad mind blowingly bad spring training he'll start off the season for the Mets as their starting third baseman and still get the opportunities in the first couple games And the Mets are one of those teams that have a lot of games to start off. They have got the four, they've got eight straight games to start the season. That means they've got four games in that first weekend. So if you're in, if you're in the weekly lineups, you're going to get four days worth of him. Maybe he sits one of them, but more than likely he does have the ability to move over to second base as well and and spill time. If Jeff McNeil either needs to move in the outfield for a day or he needs a day off as well. So he does have that flexibility to do it. You might not want to do that a whole lot, but he does have the ability. So I do think that you can get some volume out of him come the, the end of your draft and then not feel bad whatsoever moving on once the Mets have some off days ahead of them. So again, this is more of a volume play than it is purely a batting average. But as you guys both said, like this is batting average itself can be a little bit unpredictable. So if you can get the extra volume and you can walk, you back your way in to a couple hits, that'll still give you a good spot to, to start your season with. Kevin, we got one more corner infielder in the category. Might as well finish it off. Who who might you have your eye on if you need some extra volume at, in one of that position in one of those positions? Yeah, I, I agree with Scott a hundred percent that typically we're if a guy hitting at the near the top of the lineup, 
has a great batting average, they're not going to be available in later rounds. They're probably not going to be available after the first three or four rounds, like he said. But that's not the case if a guy has been plagued by injury throughout his career. And that's where Garrett Cooper comes into play. He played in 119 games in 2022. That's his career high. And as frustrating as he was in 2022, we talked about him a lot. Coming, Garrett Cooper's coming off the IL. Let's put him on our fab list, right? It came up more than once in 2022. That was his career high, 469 plate appearances in those 119 games. However, that does give us some opportunity. If he's healthy, he has not been drafted in an OC, by the way. So for the criteria that, that we're using for this after pick 325, he hasn't been drafted in an online championship. So he is widely available. Every 12-team league out there, probably a lot of 15s will be available on the wire as well. And it. He's got a 274 career batting average and 1,356 plate appearances. Now, I know past batting average isn't a reflection of future batting average, but he's hit 281, 283, 284, 261 in 2022 when he was battling those injuries. And he hits third or fourth in the Marlins lineup. So it's not empty batting average. He'll give us double-digit home runs. He'll get us to 50 or 60 runs and RBI. No stolen bases to speak of. Corner infielder. It'd be nice if he threw in a handful, but we're not going to dock him too much for that in this instance. Yeah, it's if Garrett Cooper, or let me put it this way. When Garrett Cooper is healthy, he should be rostered and in someone's lineup. And I think that was the case that we talked about a couple of times last season when he would Mm -hmm. come back, he would still be available on waiver wires. And every time he came back, he was performing well. So right now, the assumption is he's healthy right now. I think he should be rostered going into the opening week of fantasy baseball season until he starts missing time. He's an asset. Yeah, the only thing that gives me pause, like I, I like to looking at Miami for options here as well. I think I have some Marlins on in a future category or in a future position here to talk about because they have so many games. If you have a healthy Garrett Cooper, he's going to get the plate appearances. The concern is the first matchup they have is against the Mets, and I wonder how well any of those hitters are going to do against the the starting three or four of the Mets rotation in opening week. So I in I believe that it is in Miami as well. So it's going to be a little bit more of a pitcher-friendly environment, especially going against the Verlanders and the Scherzers of the world as well. So I do worry about that a little bit, but the volume itself is going to be there. I love him for RBI, right? He didn't come to my mind for average right away, but he's hitting right behind Luis Arias, Gene Segura, Jazz Chisholm. One of those guys should be on base. (laughs) More often than not, one of those guys should get on base. And Cooper, he actually, a lot of his batting average just comes from power. He hits the ball really hard. He doesn't always get it up in the air the way you want, but he hits the ball hard. Our metrics show that as well. He's above the 75th percentile in power. So I love him for RBI and the batting average ends up being pretty good too, but Again, it's not easy to find cleanup hitters that don't get no. drafted. I, I didn't do a search for it, and I wanted to. Maybe I'll have it for next week. But a 354 career BABIP in over 1,350 plate appearances is insane. Yeah, he's got a touch of... They have another guy on the team that, that does it similarly, but Garrett Cooper's been better at it, and that's Avisayo Garcia. 
right? Hurt guy hits mm-hmm. the ball real hard, doesn't get it up in the air, but hits the ball real hard, just crushes it, tries to get it between the, for Gar- Garcia, it's like between the shortstop and the third baseman, just hit it as hard as he can in that little gap, get on first <laughs> base and see what happens. Take it from there. All right, let's move. Let's just stay in the infield then, guys. Let's talk about our middle infield options. I'm going to lead it off here because I really want to get Kevin's take here. Of course, I picked a Kansas City Royal to talk about, and that's Michael Massey. We'll starting second baseman for the Royals, possibly taking over that role from Nicky Lopez. As Nicky Lopez, it seems as though, becomes more of a utility guy, though I know he does have leadership qualities in the clubhouse. Just see where they go with that. All Massey has done throughout the minors, a little less in his first season with the Royals, but all throughout his career is hit the ball for respectable, more than respectable batting average. He's uh, the other thing I like about him is the fact that the, all the games that Kansas City has throughout the month of April, they do have an off day in that first weekend. So they have three games instead of four, but then they have 12 straight games after that first off day, three at home against Minnesota who have all right-handed, entirely right-handed rotation. They have a home for four against Toronto, who their only lefty currently in their rotation is slated to be, you say, Kikuchi, which isn't really putting the fear into pretty much anybody, regardless of handedness. And then the three at San Francisco and three at Texas. As I mentioned, his hit tool is the carrying tool for him. And so not somebody I'm going to be relying on for pretty much anything else. But if I need extra volume against the correct good split in a good split situation. He's got some really good matchups or Kansas city does for his handedness going through the first couple of the first couple series of the season. Kevin is Massey the starting second baseman. Am I putting too much emphasis on what I assumed slash seeing on roster resource, reading other tweets that I'm seeing from other people, and then just looking at what he's been doing. What's your take as a Royals fan in the, in that middle infield situation. I think he is the starting second baseman. I hope he is. The reason I talk about Nate Eaton so much is because he probably isn't in the starting lineup. I would talk about Michael Massey more if I didn't think he already was. I think he is. And I agree with everything you said about him. When you're talking double a triple a mlb three levels at least 143 plate appearances at each of those levels and 20 home runs and 16 stolen bases that's appealing with the batting average the lowest one of course at the major league level but still a very respectable 243 yeah this is nice, and that backs up his 2021 at high A when he was a 21-12 guy in 439 plate appearances. I like Michael Massey a lot. I think he is the starting second baseman. The issue is even if it's not a platoon, mm-hmm. and even if I do get my wish and we see Nate Eaton, or if I don't get my wish and Hunter Dozier plays every single game at third base, there's guys that are going to play uh, they're not going to get the plate appearances we hope, unfortunately. I don't think any of these guys are until they move on from a couple of the veterans. And Nicky Lopez, I don't think, will be that guy. I think he is their utility, which means he is going to play second base on occasion, even if the matchup is nice for Michael Massey, 
even if we wish Michael Massey doesn't need a rest day. We're going to see Nicky Lopez out there some days. They're all over the infield. So I think with the projections, have him right at 400 plate appearances, pretty much 407 for the ones I'm looking at ATC and the bat. I think it's more like 500, but I don't think there's a chance we see 600 unless there's changes made to the roster. That's fair. I, like I keep saying, this is a play for the first week of the season and or week and a half, maybe. And so if it's something that's not working out for as far as playing time and not something I'm going to be worried about too much dropping, but he will be somebody that I'm looking at moving forward after that. To- we'll talk more about this as we get closer to that opening weekend. Mm-hmm. The Royals, like 20 out of 30 teams have that Friday off. And so Michael Massey, if he gets that start on opening day, Nicky Lopez is playing second base either Saturday or Sunday. So keep that in mind, that opening weekend in NFBC formats. We're going to have everybody in our lineup for Thursday and Friday. We can change our lineups. 20 of these teams are only going to have two games in that three-day period. And there's going to be guys like this throughout the league. This is just a good example. Nicky Lopez is playing second base one of those two days. So Massey's probably only playing one day in that three-day period. So not a good choice for the weekend, but for the week after that, look for that. Nicky Lopez right. is one of the most bizarre players. Have you ever heard of a player putting in a positive war, a 1.2 war with a 57 WRC plus? <laughs> that's Did hard you, to do. I'll give him credit. It's amazing. <laughs> this guy has and, and six, that's, he has like a positive war when three of four seasons, his WRC plus is below 60, <laughs> right? The guy cannot hit fields really well, but cannot hit worth a lick. And there was that two-week period and that he was stealing every other base that he was given an opportunity. So I always have that in the back of my mind as well. <laughs> All right, Scott, who are you looking at then in the middle infield for your choice? And I love that you were very you made sure to put the team name on this guy because yeah, you don't want to confuse anybody. Yeah, not the starting pitcher, not the relief <laughs> pitcher, but the middle infielder, Luis Garcia. Your nightmare on fan graphs trying to pick the right Luis Garcia. He's the last one, by the way. If you type in Luis Garcia, he's the third <laughs> one. But so Luis Garcia... It's a combination of things. Number one, I don't know why they project him to bat so low in the Nationals order as if the Nationals had a bunch of batting average guys on this team. They don't. They don't have a lot of guys who can hit. I think Luis Garcia can hit. He's a lefty, which I think gives him a platoon advantage that they just they could really use. I think he slaps the ball really well. He's always done it in the minor leagues. He can do it in the major leagues. He hit above 270 last season while he was with the Nationals big league club. I really like what he can do with the bat. It's all from line drives, right? Line drives and ground balls. A guy never puts the ball in the air, but that's okay. Putting the ball in the air is great when you need home runs, but you can get a real high batting average keeping the ball basically arm. Like if you reach your (laughs) arm up, like that's about as high as he ever hits the ball, right? That's about it. Everything is like that or lower, but he does it all over the infield. He doesn't, especially last season, he doesn't pull the ball everywhere. He hits it to all fields. He hits these line drives kind of all over the place. He's ground balls up the middle. He does things that help him get a high batting average. I think he can do that. I think that the Nationals don't have any reason not to move him up a little bit higher in the lineup, especially if he's there. Have him platooning with, I don't even understand who. I think he's definitely their second baseman. (laughs) So I think there's batting average there. I think the volume can come if he moves up in the lineup just a little bit. There's no reason Lane Thomas needs to lead off every day. 
The guy's a 240 hitter. He doesn't walk that much either. I'm not sure why they have him as a leadoff guy. I think Luis Garcia is as good or better of a leadoff hitter. CJ Abrams, another guy. I understand why he's up there because of the speed, but he's got like nothing else. I think we could see Luis Garcia go up there. I think we could see him punch through a lot of line drives and ground balls through the infield, get that batting average. At the very least, as many righties as they see the first two weeks of the season, Luis Garcia should be in that lineup and he should hit for a decent average in those games. Yeah, and he... This is goes back to what you're talking about with a bad team and a bad lineup. People are going to get even more opportunity. You said that with Oakland, Washington fits the same exact bill to see what kind of opportunity we're going to get out of pretty much all nine guys that are slated to be in that starting lineup. So Luis Garcia, the hitter, somebody worth keeping an eye on for this situation to see exactly how they end up using him, not what's being projected, as you mentioned, where they project him in the lineup. All right, Kevin, the last middle infielder here, who who are you looking at to, t- to take advantage of the early schedule? I know there's a lot of middle infielders in Miami, but it, as it looks right now, Joey <laughs> Wendell's going to be in the starting lineup in the bottom third, probably maybe the back end of the middle third, but he's going to be down there six, seven, eight, probably for the Miami Marlins, which isn't great. However, it's pretty interesting. We've talked about this more so with the Pirates, and we've brought it up with the Marlins. But when you look at Luis Arias, Gene Segura, Jazz Chisholm, Garrett Cooper, Abasil Garcia, Jorge Soler, Joey Wendell, that doesn't sound like a horrible lineup. And what's interesting about Joey Wendell, doesn't hit the ball hard, hits the ball on the ground a lot, and has still historically he's got almost 2000 plate appearances with a batting average over 270 these are the guys that i think we're missing out on when we're talking about these shift rules going away this is a guy that you would you could put five guys on the right side of the infield when he comes to the plate he's not going to burn you right he hits soft grounders <laughs> and so it's only it's got to help him a little bit and he already hits for a high average And with this Marlins lineup, he's going to run into some runs in RBI. A little over 400 plate appearances in most of the projections and pushing 50 runs and 50 RBI. Double-digit stolen bases. And if his plate appearances get a bump up closer to 500, 550, which is possible... Then we're talking double-digit home runs as well. So it's not an empty batting average. It is deficient in counting stats due to the team he plays for and the ballpark. But there is some home runs and there are some stolen bases there to go along with. If he would get 600 plate appearances, we're talking about a 70 RBI, 70 run guy. So it's somebody to monitor the playing time, see... You know, if he's in and out of the lineup, then I'll totally pull him back out of my lineup and drop him off of my roster. But the way things sit right now, I think he's going to get enough run that th- this could be an advantage and at least help maintain, if not improve, our fantasy team's batting average. Yeah, we brought up Joey Wendell. I think I brought him up last week. We were talking about the speed category, just the fact that he's going to be the, supposedly the starting shortstop even though he's a second baseman like everybody else on that roster. That's the thing. They have all these middle infielders, <laughs> but did, are they They could put Segura there, but 
is anybody else they want to play shortstop out of all these guys? From my understanding, Segura is the third baseman, the second yeah. baseman playing third base. They have right. a second baseman playing center field. They have a and second baseman playing third base. And they have Wendell play third base. They have him at shortstop. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh, that'll be fun to watch. All right. I'm going to move in the outfield just because I want to stay with Miami. I'll give you, I, want to, I want to pose my choices to you guys to see which one it is because there's two outfielders here that I got on here in Miami that may or may not even be good choices. So I want to get your guys' take here. First, it's Brian De La Cruz and then Jesus Sanchez. The roster research doesn't even have Sanchez on the roster come opening day back in the minors. I, I just don't see that happening at this point. I think I'm on the side of, I heard Craig Mish talking about this, that really Miami needs to see, they need to be able to just give Sanchez some run to see what they actually have there. And he's probably earned that that ability or at least that opportunity there. Brian De La Cruz, not a darling because he's not being drafted in any of these 12 teamers as well, but still being talked about a little bit more, I think, just from the chatter that I'm seeing. Did some stuff toward the end of last season of his time, Brian De La Cruz, that is, that made it seem like he he was figuring things out he's getting into the 75th percentile in these decision metrics scott that you could, if you're going over on plv and seeing the apps that we have there for hitters the hitter performance is what i meant to say going into the 75th percentile by the end of the end of the season though for the whole season below average i get that but one of these guys is going to get some opportunity come the beginning of 2023 and probably regular run for a little bit. Scott, let me start with you. Which one of these guys do you think gets more run from the Marlins and that I should be targeting for this category? I'd say it's Brian De La Cruz because I think they're not sure what he is yet. He might be like a 15 to 20 home run guy, steals a handful of bases, hits 260. That's a useful major league player. I think they know what Jesus Sanchez is. He's a guy who can hit home runs and hit 220. That not a whole lot else going on for him. So I'm into it. I'm into Brian De La Cruz. I did not rank him very well or really much at all in my rankings for a 12 team standard league because there's just not much room on a roster for a 15 to 20 home run, 260 hitter in a league that only starts three outfielders. But in the deeper formats, which is something that a lot of people still play. I'd say there's something there for Brian De La Cruz specifically with the batting average in mind. Now, if what you need is power, you got to go Jesus Sanchez. I think that he can get some, he can get some playing time in against if he gets, if he can win a platoon job, he gets the big side of the platoon because Sanchez is a lefty. De La Cruz is a righty, but he has to prove that he can earn that. If he does, there's power there. Just not much else. That's fair. Yeah, this is, again, a volume play. Miami does have a bunch of games at the start of the season, just like the Mets do. Something to keep an eye on. Kevin, do you have a preference here? Or is this this a situation that you're monitoring during spring training to see who gains the upper hand if either one does? Or do you think that's more of a platoon situation that you're probably avoiding if you're looking for volume? I lean Sanchez here, and it's because of two times ago at first pitch, Arizona. Still stuck in my mind. There, there's a panel on that weekend where there, there's a couple of scouts leading the panel. And we're told over the entire weekend, but it's definitely re-emphasized before that panel. Things that are said in this room stay in this room. But one of the just general things said two years ago, and they were talking about Jesus Sanchez at the time, is like when you're going to bet on somebody, bet on the freak athlete. Right. And Jesus Sanchez is a freak athlete. And what's 
intriguing to me is when it comes to these big power, low average guys, we're like, man, if they would just cut down on the strikeout rate. And that's what Jesus Sanchez did in 2022 and his time at the major league level. He cut it from 31.1% in 2021 when he hit 251. He cut it to 26.8%, right? And 4.3 percentage points. And his batting average dropped almost 40 points, right? Makes no sense. Goes back to what we've been talking about since the beginning of the episode. Batting average, very volatile, a lot of variance, and a lot of luck, as Scott brought up. So I think when you look at his career numbers, 623 plate appearances, that's a season. 27 home runs, 66 runs, 74 RBI with a 221 batting average. I'll take that as someone that I can get late in a draft or even off the waiver wire late in a draft if he does come out firing on all cylinders to start the season you're gonna want to have already had him on your roster because he'll get snatched up pretty quickly but yeah i that 251 batting average in 2021 it just looks amazing and he's done that at some stops throughout his minor league career so it's once I guess I'm back to, yeah, I'm going to bet on the freak athlete. That's probably fair. It's something I think that it's worth monitoring during spring training to see where these guys are playing, how much they're playing, and what moves. And I'll correct myself, Roster Resource does have Jesus Sanchez on the opening day roster or suggesting that he will be, granted, they're predicting he'll be on the bench and the La Cruz will be the starter, but something to keep an eye out for. Kevin, why don't you roll right into your outfield pick here? It might be a better pick for exactly the categories that we're talking about than the ones that I just threw out there. Yeah. I think the worry with Michael Brantley coming into the season is how much playing time is he going to get? And I think a lot of people are assuming that it's going to be him and or Jordan Alvarez in left field and at designated hitter. I don't think that matters. I think Jordan Alvarez's knees are in a lot better shape than we give them credit for. I think he, yeah, he had problems, he had surgery, but for by all accounts, he's been really healthy for a year and a half now as far as his knees go. So I think he I think Michael Brantley can get a lot of time at DH. I think he'll also play in the outfield on occasion. He's one of only three left-handed hitters on this roster at this point. And so he's going to be in that lineup most days. I think more than most of us would think when we just bring it up off the bat. And we don't even have to talk about numbers. We know Michael Brantley hits for a high batting average. And when you're in a lineup like the Houston Astros and possibly in the two hole, there's no such thing as an empty batting average. Yeah, I was making a signal make and that's it. But then you're absolutely right. Forget the fact that he's with the Astros. And if you're in the top half of that lineup, if you're anywhere in that lineup, really, but specifically in the top half of that lineup, hit the balls and they will come type of situation. So it's something that I like to call out there. All right, Scott, finish this off here for your outfield choices for early season volume slash batting average hopeful. Yeah, one thing I will say about Michael Brantley, 
the Astros are showing a lot of faith in his health because the only other outfielders they have are like Jake Myers and Bly Madras, who's on his fourth team since September. They're, they're showing some faith here that he can stay healthy. The guys I'm looking at, two of them, I want to start with Jonathan Daza. And the reason for that, he's with the Rockies. And I think we talk about the Coors effect all the time. We also talk about the negative part of the Coors effect, which means it makes it really hard to hit on the road. But this guy's hit, he's hit about 269 on the road in his career as well, because Jonathan Daza just likes to slap the ball. Doesn't hit it hard. He's not a home run guy, but he likes to slap the ball right over the infield. He's almost like a... It does remind you a lot of a Jeff McNeil or Luis Arias type where he doesn't hit it hard, but he slaps it just enough. He bats at the top of that Rockies lineup more often than he doesn't. So if he's at home, he's going to hit over 300. When he's on the road, he still hits like 270. Daza can make that contact hit at the top of a lineup. That's hard to find. Again, he doesn't give you a whole lot else, a little chip in speed, chip in power, things like that. But if you need batting average, it's there. The other guy, assuming he's not sent up. I can't believe Edward Olivera still has options remaining the way the Royals jerked him around last <laughs> season. It blew my mind to see that he still got one. It's like some horrible trick. They, the Royals sent Edward Olivares up and down all over the place. But when he played, when they actually let Olivares played, he played quite well for the Royals. I thought, I thought he should have gotten a lot more opportunities than just 53 games last year. 53 feels like the number of times he was sent up and down. You think I'm making a joke, but if you doing the darn first pitch podcast, tracking roster moves every day, I was talking about Edward Olivares has been sent up or down or left or right somewhere. It drove me nuts, but he hit 286 last season in those 53 plate appearances. He makes good contact. He's got power and speed. Not a ton of it, but I think in a full season, he could be like a 15-10, 15-15 kind of guy, depending on how much he runs this season. I definitely think he can hit 250, 260 at least. I actually like him a little better as like a 270 guy even. Uh, Kauffman Stadium is a tough place to hit home runs, but there's still plenty of outfield out there to let the ball land. So I like him a lot. He's a young player. As long as they actually let him play, which, hey, roster resource says they will, despite all indications last season of the Royals not really needing him to be a full-time player for no particular reason. I think Edward Alvarez can definitely be there, give you some power, give you some speed, and just play. I, I think at worst, the guy bats like sixth because the Royals just don't have a lot of other hitters to put in the top six, right? Sure. I think he can be there. I think he can hit well. So I, I like Edward Alvarez there. I like the Daza call out, if not for no other reason, with Randall Gritchick slated to start the season either on the IL or at least injured. There's a little bit more clarity in the outfield there and Daza being projected to be the leadoff hitter for the Rockies, at least by roster resource, should get the plenty of volume, at least in the early goings there. Colorado does have the first four. They have four games that first weekend of opening weekend, though they are the first two series. They unfortunately are on the road, so they won't be able to take advantage of Colorado in general. And as Kevin always likes to point out, you you do have the the ability to not utilize any Rockies hitters <laughs> in the NFBC platform, obviously in daily moves as well, if you so choose, if you build your rosters correctly. So I'll give a call out to, to Nolan Jones as well for an outfield option in Colorado with the Gritchick going down. Might see a little bit more opportunity, especially as a lefty for the Rockies. So I think these are all really good options to, to consider. It's really hard to make a consideration at the end of drafts when you're just trying to gain 
either added volume or specifically batting average. So something that you can chip away at these categories all year round. You don't have to wait until July or August. You can start working at it now, especially if you're already aware of your deficiencies after your draft. Something to keep in mind. Kevin, close us out with any other additional tidbits of knowledge that you can impart on everybody before we, we, we part ways. Yeah, I think it's just important as we're looking at batting average in season, once the season's underway, once we've drafted our teams, as Scott brought up, that's in his example for head-to-head leagues. Framwell Reyes will hit 400 some weeks if he's playing for a major league team. Guys that are going to hit 320 for the season can hit 138 for a week. So when we're doing our fab pickups and trying to maximize volume for a week, stick to the counting stats, strikeout rate, walk rate, the things we know that lead to good batting averages. Don't get caught up in he's eight for his last 22, that type of thing. If he's going, if things are going well, things are going well, but there's other things that are going to point to the possibility of a good batting average for the week rather than what their batting average was last week or the last couple of weeks. Love that example. Just real quick. Bo Bichette hit 213 in April, 97 plate appearances in September, 406, 142 plate appearances, right? I was, it's just, there's no reason to explain that. There's nothing, he wasn't hurt, nothing happening. Right. There's no reason for that. In fact, he went from 213 in April to 296 in May. Right. There's no reason for it. Right now, overall, we know certain players will hit better than others. Right. Freddie Freeman will likely be among the top first baseman in batting average at the end of the season. That's just the way he's good enough to do that. But month to month, who's going to have the best first base batting average in April? You'll bet Freddie Freeman because, you know, that's the safe bet. But the odds are terrible. <laughs> because anybody can hit good for a month. And now we got to now we got to decide how to do it for a week and then half a week and in some leagues for the day. If we were good at that DFS would be a money maker for me. It is yeah. not. It's not because you can be right, you can watch your guy just smoke three hits to the gap and three hits to the gap and a bloop single and you had a terrible day. Even yeah. though you knew he was going to crush the ball. Because batting average, it, like it, it's cruel. It's cruel because you'll just watch a guy just frozen rope up to an outfielder's glove. Right to the glove. Yeah. Don't have and to the difference, move. Yep. The, the difference between timing and bear, where it hits on the barrel of the bat between a gapper into the outfield's glove is not something that skill necessarily per, can deal with, right? You're talking about a round ball on a round bat at a certain, at fractions of a millisecond that can change that direction of the ball. So it's silly, it's cruel, and weekly, when you go from week to week, you just don't know what a player is going to hit. It's cruel, but we keep doing it anyway. It's and just, we love it. That's the, We get excited <laughs> about it, for God's sake. The definition yeah. of insanity, but here we are. All right, that is going to, I think that's going to tie us up for the for the episode. Scott, Thanks, man, for taking the time, the extra time. I, we, as Nick would like to say, we went a little long on this one, but that's okay. It's pretty average for us, at least. Want you for anybody who's not aware at this point, if they made it all the way through here, I appreciate them for doing so. Where they can find more work of yours, how they can follow you, and all that good stuff. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at if the chew fits. 
I'm you can find my work on pitcher list right now. I've got my position ranks all out there. I've got to finish the DH one, which is actually just like a bunch of ranks I already did, plus Shohei Otani. But I got all my ranks out there, so that's fun. And you can find me on Twitter just posting a bunch of rolling charts. Kyle Bland made us an awesome app. It's free for Amazing. now. It's going to be behind a paywall eventually, but you should get in there. Look at things like contactability, right? That's how I found Jonathan Daza. The guy just makes a ton of contact. And he plays in an outfield that's six square miles. So that, that's a good way to get batting average, right? Use those stats. Really let them help you. If you want a couple fun ones, look up some O'Neill Cruz stuff, right? You want to get excited about a guy who runs faster, throws harder, and hits harder than everyone else? Go look up O'Neill Cruz. He made some great adjustments. But that's really what I'm doing right now is just looking at all the cool stuff Kyle Bland made and throwing it in articles. If you go to my rankings, you'll find, I think it's about, 87 now 87 rolling charts throughout my rankings just to talk about what players did and how they grew or how they didn't so uh, a lot of fun stuff but yeah that that's really what i spent all my time on and i'm taking a little break for now until the regular season starts yeah, at least until the twins come right yeah yeah <laughs> All right. Of course, you can hear Scott on Hacks and Jacks with a fellow tout, Joe Galena, as well. So make sure you're listening to those guys chat it up mostly about hitters on Hacks and Jacks whenever you can as well. Right here on the same picture list podcast network feed that you're probably listening to this show as well. Or you can find their own feed as well wherever you're listening to your podcast. Make sure you're following all of Scott's work on the Twitter. If the chew fits, you should already be following this pod on the Twitter as well as on the wire pod. And you do that right after you give us a review and a five star review in ranking for your listening. And that's going to wrap it up for episode 103 of On the Wire. Once again, thank our guest Scott Chu for joining us. After all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hazel, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye. Aloha, everybody. Yeah.